0: This will make a Baptist shout. (laughs) This won't, something wrong with you. This is wonderful. Hallelujah. Thank you, choir, for a feast. And thank God for these young people that had the courage to go public with their faith. Thank God for that. Thank God. Turn in your Bibles. If you're a guest with us today, we keep Bibles in the pew. Uh, if you don't know where to find it, one of our, uh, our folks, show them. If you, since you're a guest, try to show them the place so they can, know I'm not making this stuff up. Show them where we're reading this in the Bible. Uh, we believe the Bible is the Word of God. And while you're doing that, we're going to be taking an offering. I I keep forgetting it because I want to (laughs) preach. But you have to pay the bills if I preach. (laughs) Uh, I told a story. I don't know. uh, A lot of times, one thing, if you're here and you're a guest and uh, you don't claim to be a believer, uh, never feel any pressure in this church to give. Uh, This is for believers, for those that uh, love Christ. And so, if you want to participate, that's up to you, but there's no pressure. Uh, But you that are believers, there's plenty of pressure. (laughs) Because this is a part of your worship. You can shout in the song service, and it's set on your wallet. You don't want to do that. I I tell the story I told in the first service. I often think that sometimes, well, we don't want, you know, unbelievers or maybe some Unsaved money might get mixed up today. (laughs) Well, let me tell you the story that a tent evangelist was preaching. I forget the name. I used to know that name. And uh, he was preaching. They did tent meetings. Uh, They used to do those in the Midwest. I went to one in Fort Smith, Arkansas. And very common. And uh, some guys were rowdies in the town. They were gambling. And uh, they said, let's go down and... Uh, make a donation to this guy, and uh, let's pull a prank on him. They went down, and they saw the evangelists, and they were known as Rowdies, and they said, hey, we want to make a donation. And so they had it in a bag and said, here, we want to give this to you. And so they handed it off to him, and then one of the guys says, but we need to tell you we won this in a poker game. The evangelist grabbed it, and he said, the devil's had it long enough. (laughs) So, some of you need to put some money in God's hand. The devil's had your money long enough. (laughs) Why don't you put some money in God's hand? Huh? No refunds. No refunds. You got to take it up with the Lord, and you won't lose anything you do in his name, not even a cup of cold water. Our Father, we pray you'll bless this offering. Please, on Easter morning, deliver us from being stingy. Let us be hilarious as we give back to a resurrected Christ. We're not trying to buy our way to heaven. We're thanking you that you came from heaven and that you bore our sins and you rose again. We love to give because you're the giving God that once you take control of our hearts, you turn us into givers instead of getters, so we delight to give in your name. May it be adequate for all the needs we have in this facility, in this church. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. While they're receiving your love gifts, I want to say thank you to all the men that have been preaching the last few weeks. I thank God. I don't think you've done without. they preach you the word, haven't they? Thank God. And uh, I thank God for our kind church uh, that has borne with me through five surgeries over the last 15 years. I have to say this, uh, the only bad thing that I have to report to you, I'm out of pain for the first time in 20 years, so the sermons will get longer. (laughs) Uh, I've been on Norco, I've been on Valium, Tequila, I don't know. (laughs) I mean, I've been on anything that could get me out of pain. I've been pain, pain city. And I thought I was going to have to leave this church because I couldn't stand up here anymore. I was hurting all the time. And that's why I caused you so much pain. If I'm in pain, you're going to be in pain. But uh, God in his grace, the first time in 20 years, as long as I could remember, after five surgeries, I'm not in pain. And so I, I thank God. So uh, we're going to readjust our clocks. And since this is my first time, Deborah put me on a time limit. It said, uh-uh, uh-uh. <laughs> I'll try to obey. But it's good to be back with you. 1 uh, Thessalonians chapter 4. Uh, the resurrection of Christ changes everything for the believer. Another way you could say it is the gospel of Jesus Christ changes everything. Gospel means the good news. And the good news for us is verse 14 of this passage. Since we believe that Jesus died, and he died for our sins, and that he rose again, we've been sent into the world with good news. Now, what Paul's going to do is unpackage what the good news, how it affects you. In two great ways, he says, it's going to affect you when it's your turn to grieve, when it's your turn to bury loved ones, and when it's your turn to die. That it has practical now application. The next funeral you do, if you believe in a resurrected Christ, it will change your outlook and perspective on it. Without Christ, all funerals are hopeless. All funerals are right for grief. All funerals remind you you're but a vapor, and there's nothing beyond the grave you will be done away with forever. But since our gospel is true, it says you're not done with once we bury you. There's a future. There's a future for the believer in Christ that is glorious. Two things we will see. We want to first look at the gospel and why it's so important that Christ must die and rise again. But two, we want to look at what that says about the future of every man, woman, boy, and girl who's put their faith in Jesus Christ. And thirdly, I want you to see how a resurrected Christ would change your outlook the next time you go to a funeral, even if it's your own. Because we are living in the land of the dying, and we are going to the land of the living. Amen. Everybody here is terminally ill. Nobody here is going to escape death, not even Batman. <laughs> you are going to die. Are you ready for the appointment? Now, let us read the passage. Verse 13, but we do not want you to be uninformed or ignorant, brethren, brethren, about those who are asleep. Now, I always say, this does not mean in the AM service. <clears throat> asleep here is a euphemism for Christian death. Christian dying is going to sleep. Now, I me mean, qualify. Only the body goes to sleep. The soul does not go to sleep. The soul goes to be with God, goes to be with Christ. But the body, the body that we live in, it is considered to be put asleep. Early Christians named their burial grounds motels because they viewed it as an overnight's rest, anticipating the resurrection. Let's just check it into the motel. Now, some have been in the motel 2,000 years, but just an overnight rest till resurrection morning. But it goes on. I don't want you to be disturbed about people who have died in Christ, so that you will not grieve as do the rest who have no hope. Now, now, let me say this. In the ancient world, the world of the New Testament, 30 to 90 A.D., the New Testament was written. Let me tell you what it would be like if you went to the pagan temple or went to the house of philosophy. The, uh, let's go to Mars Hill and said, Tell me what it's like when I'm planning my mother's funeral or my baby's funeral. Could you give me some insight on how to die and what's our view? Listen to what Lightfoot says. The despair of the Roman world is brought to us by the gloomy inscriptions on their monuments. The contrast of the monuments of the heathen above ground on the Appian Way in Rome with their dreary wail of despair to the exultant notes of hope in the ill-written, ill-spelled inscriptions of the catacombs where the believers buried theirs beneath the ground. One had despair, no future believers, though slaves, many of them. Their common inscriptions were forever in Christ, asleep in Jesus. One of the most common inscriptions in the catacombs was the picture of a shepherd carrying a lamb. All these beautiful uh, symbols that asleep in Jesus. Listen to what the philosophers would say. Aeschylus would say of a man once dead, there is no resurrection. Once you die, that's it. You're over. Theocritus said, Hopes are among the living. The dead are without hope. Lucretus, no one awakes and arises who has once been overtaken by the chilling end of life. Cadulus, another philosopher. Suns may set and rise again, but we, when once our brief light goes down, must sleep an endless night. The Greek view of death was... You're just matter. you drop in a grave, there's no afterlife. They viewed the body as a prison to the soul. If you go east, many eastern religions, incarnation. If you go to China, worship ancestors. No necessarily promise that you in a body will abide with God forever. Just maybe... At the most, a floating, reincarnating spirit. And God forbid if you come back like some of your relatives. Um, I mean, there's not much hope. There was one inscription on a tomb that went this way. Pause, my friend, as you walk by. As you are now, so once was I. As I am now, so you will be. Prepare my friend to follow me. A gentleman came and he observed that inscription and he became a bit troubled by it. And without permission, he wrote two more lines. And this is what he wrote To follow you is not my intent until I know which way you went. <laughs> Don't just follow anybody in the graveyard. Where did they go? Where did they go? Well, uh, let us say something about the resurrection of Christ. He assumes everything he's going to tell them, that if this is true, since we believe Christ died and rose again, then we offer you all this hope. And so, uh, Jesus said he would rise again. Uh, I looked it up. I was going to track it down. And I found it in John two, Matthew twenty nineteen, eight thirty one, nine thirty one, ten thirty four, Luke 24, three, twenty-four seven, Matthew seventeen nine, Mark nine, nine, Matthew twenty six, thirty two. I said, Oh, forget it. He said it. <laughs> I quit, I gave up. There's so many times I said, I will rise again. You will kill me. You will bury me. But in three days I will rise again. He's either a lunatic, a liar, or a lord. And everything rests on whether the tomb is empty in three days. We can prove him to be a liar within three days. He said, you kill me, I rise in three days. Liar, 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 said the Sadducees who didn't believe in resurrection. Pharisees said he's a blasphemer, a phony, a false messiah. Liar, liar, lunatic. He's out of his mind. Three days later, he's been missing ever since. And for 40 days, for 40 days, he went around, he ate with his disciples, he let Thomas put his hand in his wounds, uh, he walked with them, he walked with the men on the Emmaus Road. Uh, what's amazing in history, uh, that the disciples who were all cowards all died a martyr's death after his resurrection, all except John the Apostle. What changed them? a liar, a lunatic, or one who must be God and walked out of the tomb and left it empty. I will die for a living Christ. The signal fires of the upper room were not lit by a dead Christ, but by a living Christ. And an astounding thing in the historical record, God's boldness to stoop and use women. In the Jewish court, a woman's testimony was not permitted because you can't trust a woman. That's just what they said now. Don't be heckling me. I want to get out of here alive. I'm married. I got three daughters. I'm persecuted. Uh, (laughs) Let's see. Uh, No, you cannot permit a woman in court. Her testimony is invalid. You know what God did? He made all the first witnesses of the resurrection women. He went right, right, right against. That's what God did for you women. He said the Redeemer will come from a woman. and matter of fact, he won't even need a man's help. Just God and a woman brought a Redeemer. That's pretty high compliment. Sorry, man, you're out on that. You can't beat that. Try it. Go ahead. You chauvinist. You can't beat that. She's the one that got us in this mess. She told Adam to eat, but God said, "I'm going to do something." I'm so grace. You're the one that introduced the fall to your husband, but I'm going to introduce the cure through you. One's coming, called Messiah, that will pay the price for what you just did. What a compliment! And then, when Christ is raised from the dead. Mary Magdalene will be there. Other women met there. They run back and tell the disciples, they said, oh, I don't believe it, I don't believe it. And then Peter and John get in a foot race, and they run there, and Peter runs in. And sure enough, the tomb is empty. And the linen cloth he was wrapped in was folded up neatly. And then some Jesus decided he'd fold it up, leave it for the guest. I don't need it. I don't need it. So you see, all over the New Testament, it says, Christ died, he rose again. It's not good news if he stays in the tomb. And Paul goes on to tell us, if Christ did not die, we're still in our sins. If Christ did not die and rise again, we are liars and we are false teachers. We need to repent, quit preaching because you're a liar. You're still in your sins if Christ did not rise again. But he did rise again and why? Why? Romans 1, 4 says that God might show him to be the son of God. He rose again because Romans four twenty five says he was delivered up on account of our trespasses, but he was raised again on account of our justification. My justification is sealed at his tomb. I'm right with God based upon an empty tomb. This is Christianity. This is gospel. You have no gospel without a living Christ. You just got a dead lifeguard that can't save anybody. You put all the images you want of the world's greatest lifeguard. I don't care who used to work the pool. Who's alive now? Yeah, our greatest lifeguard died in 2011. We've never replaced him. So good luck. I get no comfort in a dead lifeguard. When I'm drowning, I want someone alive. And Christ is alive. Now, what are the implications of this? The implications, he just starts developing. He unpackages. So then, let me tell you what your future as a believer in Christ looks like. You want to know what it's going to look like? Please say Just go ahead. Just kind of. I pay some people to just nod their head. No, come on. Now watch. This is your future. If you believe Jesus Christ died for your sins, rose again, and you believe it. He said, we believe this. This is our future. I don't want to tell you what your future is without Christ. It's bleak. It's long. It's black. But here it is if you believe in Christ. Watch now. Follow me in your Bible. Verse 15. You got a Bible? You follow me? Okay, watch this. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord. God told me to say this. That we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord. What do you mean the coming of the Lord? Christ kept telling his followers, If I go away, I will come again for you. And I'll welcome you to myself. And I'll take you this time to be with me forever in a place I'm preparing for you. So, I will come back. I will. When? I'm not going to tell you. Why? None of your business. Acts 1. It's not for you to know. The times of the seasons. The Father has put in the Son's heart to come back. Just know, I'm coming back. You know, Douglas MacArthur told the Philippines, I'll come back. He just didn't know when. Well, Jesus knows when. He just had not told us. So, he's coming again. Uh, it's out there. Now watch. And when he comes, the dead, we who are alive when he comes back, we may be a generation that's alive when he, but if that's true, we will not proceed or go ahead of those who have fallen asleep. Okay, here are the folks that have died in Christ. Christ comes, I'm alive right now, so you would think I get a head start. Come on, I'm alive. Hey, some of them have been dead 2,000 years. I don't want to be next to a corpse. He said, no, 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 no. He said, you, the living, when I come, will not go ahead of those who have already died. Well, what are you going to do? Watch what he says. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven... With a whisper. Do you think the Lord could shout? He simply said to Lazarus, come forth, and he comes out of the grave. When the creator shouts, every mountain could be moved in the earth. I don't know how loud it's going to be, but it's going to be loud enough that every dead person in Jesus is going to hear it. That's pretty loud. With the voice of the archangel. And with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Oh, they will rise first. What do you mean? Well, we buried them at sea. Uh, we've, I mean, 2,000-year-old corpses, skin worms have eaten them. They've turned to dust. Where the body, there can't be a future for the body unless you control all the atoms of the universe. And God will command every atom to come together that makes up a body and glorify it. And he will come and he will shout. And the dead in Christ will rise first. Over 2,000 years of people have died in Christ. I think Abraham gets resurrected later, but I'm going to go there now. Then we who are alive and remain will be caught up together with them in the clouds, To meet the Lord in the air. And so we shall always be with the Lord. And the word caught up here, when the Latin Vulgate was translated, they just took this Greek word and translated it rapture, to be caught up, to be caught away. The Greek word was harpazo. The Latin went to rapture. So we believe people will be raptured. Now, you may not agree with when we think it happens, but if you want the right view, see me. But they are going to be raptured. They are going to be caught up. Boom. And, and just think, this is going to be something. If all of a sudden I was caught up, I can't imagine if my grandmothers, my parents, my two brothers, and my sister, we all rode up together. But just can you imagine you going up through the air, And if God would allow you to see everybody being raptured at one time, all around, over 2,000 years of saints, wow, and none of them look old. Going to have a glorified body. No pills. No canes. Well, I saw Bob today, no wheelchair. Spencer fighting terrible back, all of this. Adult life. All that will be discarded, and in a moment, out of pain, in a moment, no more death, no more blood in your body. The spirit will take over the blood and become the animating principle. Worms no longer in the body, bacteria no longer in the body. In one moment, instantaneous moment, both the dead in Christ, whose bodies sleep, shall be awakened. They'll be raised up on an elevator, as it were. Get me up on the same level of the living. All right, together you guys are going up. Boom. All because God said, if I could raise a dead man one time, I can raise millions of dead men in the future. And that's what he's going to do. <laughs> this is glorious. This will make you happy. If you think about it. Uh, I have friends dying. See, this doesn't immune us from funerals. This doesn't immune us from sorrows. It's just hard for Christians on the human emotion side to bury a wife, a child, a mother, a father. On the emotional side, maybe as those that don't know Christ accept. Here's the thing. He says, I want you to stop grieving like the the pagans around you, uh, they have a hopeless sorrow. They, they, uh, they're wailing. They're going on. Uh, in America, you, you have a wake. Or you say, there's got to be plenty of booze. I can't get through it. You think Jack Daniels can get you over burying your wife? Is that the best America's got? There's no harder assignment in life than to bury people that you love. And if you haven't, you haven't lived long enough, you will. You will. I never thought I could bury my dad. But I did. Far too soon. Far too soon. But I had hope when we put him in the ground. I've got hope today. I'll see him again. We had Barney Ayot with us, a missionary to New Guinea, outstanding missionary, worked with New Tribes uh, Ministry. And it was moving as he described what uh, burial rites uh, and how to deal with the dead happened in New Guinea, where the tribe he worked with, they were close to the equator. And Barney described the story that when a man uh, died, died. Uh, In New Guinea, what they would do, they would put him in the middle of a field. They would put him up on poles, build something to hold his body there. And for a week, uh, they would have warriors on both sides of the corpse that would be in the middle of a field. And for a week, they would shoot arrows over it, shoot arrows to keep demonic spirits away from the corpse. And they would do that I don't know if they did it at, at night, for they were very terrified of night and demonic spirits. And so they would do this every day for a week and wail. On the final day in the equatorial sun, the corpse was ripe, no embalming fluid. The skin worms and the maggots were throughout. And a warrior would go and plunge his hand into the corpse and take a piece of the heart and eat it to keep the demonic spirits away from their loved one for eternity. When William Carey went to India, 1700s, he tried to eliminate burning the wife every time a man died. Because they'd build their fires to burn the corpse. But the wife always had to die. She could be a young wife. But you must be thrown on the fire. You must die. In Africa, they always kill in many tribes. They kill the woman. If a man dies before the woman, they assume she poisoned him. So they always kill the widow. Maybe that's where black widow came from. They kill her. Didn't do anything. She just has to die. But what did he say? He commanded us in verse 18. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. Stop being ignorant. Stop grieving like those who have a hopeless grief. Years ago, uh, I had a young man in this church, Matt Fernandez, went to Fairfield, uh, took his little wife, Robin, Robin was angelic to me. She was just such an innocent girl. Used to ride her bike down to Holy Ghost Hall when she was in about the ninth grade to go to Bible studies. Matt fell in love with her. Just crazy about her. Dad went, let him marry. She was, he was older than hers by somewhat, and he just kept holding off. Finally, they got to get married, and uh, they were a delightful couple. Just you saw innocence, sweetness. I think they had one child, and then Ruth is going to be born. So their second child is uh, being born at Vallejo Kaiser. I get a call from one of the Fernandes family come. Uh, Robin is fighting for life. I think at that time they'd gone through one or two cold blues. It was close that she had uh, opened up to give childbirth, and then the baby contracted, toxema set in, infection, and they never could get on top of it. It just, just kept taking over her body. I got there, and the big family were all in the room, were waiting. They were in between a code blue trying to bring her back. Finally, I believe it was the second or third code blue went off, and the doctor finally came and told the family, told Matt, we lost her. She's gone, about 27, maybe, young. But but we saved the baby, Ruth, little baby Ruth. So Matt's there. One day, he's left with two children, loses this girl that he married, that he waited for a long time. And he said, Pastor, do me a favor. And I said, what is it, Matthew? Brothers and sisters, mom are there. He said, read to me 1 Thessalonians 4. So I, I started reading. But we do not want you to be uninformed, brethren. And I read it. And as soon as I get through, he said, read it again, Pastor. So, okay. I read it again. It's either the third or fourth time I finally said, Matthew, how many times do you want me to read this? Why do you want me to keep reading it? He said, because I'm brokenhearted. I'm going home without my wife. I'm overwhelmed. But he said, comfort one another with these words, and I'm waiting for the words to comfort me. I'm waiting for them to sink in. I want to say to you, I don't know how many loved ones you're going to bury this year or if we bury you. I was just reading some verses recently to Steve Fernandez, Matt's brother, who is going to die any day. As I was reading to him some verses and I said, Stephen, in a general way, I said, Stephen, what a comfort for us to bury our loved ones on this. And Stephen, in his emphatic personality way, said, Phil, I'm not thinking about my loved ones. I'm dying. This is for me. I need hope. I need assurance. Talk to me. I'm not worried about everybody else. It's my turn to die. What would you cling to when it's your time? Believers have clung to the promise here that if I die, my body will only go to sleep to be resurrected If I die, it will not keep me from seeing the Lord when he comes, for he's going to speak to death, loosen your hold, let him up out of the grave, and someday with Job in my body, I shall see my Redeemer and not another. I will see him with my eyes and not another. I shall see Christ. Death is not the end. It was Moody who said, told his children when he was dying in his last moments, he said, tomorrow the Chicago Tribune is going to say, Moody, dead. And he told his son, Will, don't you believe it, Will, for tomorrow I shall be more alive than I've ever been in my life. For I shall be with the Lord forever and ever and ever. I say to you, if you put your faith in a Christ who died for you, You've got a future guaranteed by his promise. And you've got a medicine for a heart in all of your earthly sorrows, every funeral you don't want to go to, every weeping spell that there seems to be hopeless. As long as there's Jesus, there's always hope. And we offer you Jesus today. If you came here without hope, if you came here gripped by death. I used to be afraid of dying, and I needed to be for I wasn't prepared to die. You'll never be prepared to live until you're prepared to die. And so today, as brothers will wait for you. We're not a high-pressure church about getting you up front because only the Spirit of God can make you want to come, can only make you want Christ. But we will be here. We are spirit-filled midwives. We sometimes help out on the delivery. We try to give you a word when the Spirit of God is drawing you.